choke points. Let's go. And time for a nostalgic look back at the choke points of 2023. Here's Chris. And Dave, normally this time of the year, I kind of go over some of the projects, the things that were kind of cool. And, you know, there were some this year, the orange striping down on I-5 through the Five Ferry. That was kind of interesting. Yes. You know, but really there was one overall theme as I started going over all of the choke points from the year. And it was really your bank account, your family budget, and the state's bottom line. Uh, top of the mind for our listeners is Washington's new carbon tax, which by most estimates has raised the price of a gallon of gas by more than 40 cents. It's a big tax on big polluters, which is being passed right along to consumers, has raised $2 billion so far this year. The national average for gas, according to AAA... $3.12. Washington's average is four seventeen as of this morning. Now, other great news. Trouble on the horizon for finishing the 520 bridge project to I-5. Uh, we've been hearing about this a little bit uh, towards uh, the end of the year. The current bid to build the Portage Bay segment to I-5 is 70% over the Washington Department of Transportation's budget. That's 560 million dollars in change and change legislature will need to find that coming up this session or we could face putting this off for years which will make it much more expensive or maybe not even finishing that part of the project which would mean we'd have this beautiful freeway going all the way from redmond to montlake and then it just stopping and going into the same old portage bay connection other than the reversible lane to uh, the express lanes so that's one we're keeping a very close eye on the legislature must also find another four billion dollars from somewhere to complete all the fish passage work required by the court order the price tag for this 20-year plan started at just under four billion dollars it's now nearly eight billion dollars and here's another sobering thought the seattle times reports that all of the money in the 17 billion dollar transportation package passed last year will be allocated by next year this was a 16-year package this money was supposed to last until 2038 wow let that sink in And so where do you think the legislature is going to go to try to fix that? (laughs) If past history is any indication, it won't be by cutting projects. They'll probably be asking you and me and everybody else to chip in. So we're going to watch this legislative session very closely. Matt Markovich, our legislative reporter, is going to be very busy. And, of course, don't forget, ferry fares went up by 4% in October. They're going to go up another 4% next October. The max toll rates on 405 and 167 are likely going to go up to 15 bucks in March. And speaking of 405, the price tag to finish the widening from Bellevue to Renton, has gone up another $230 million. So we're looking to trying to fill that gap as well. Now, it's hard to talk about money without mentioning Sound Transit, which, of course, as you know, has a wonderful track record of being on time and on budget. Today, just an update on where light rail service is expected to open. Linwood could open in less than a year, which is great. Yay. So that's positive. Still more than a year late. <laughs> of course, I'm being Captain Bringdown today. Right. The earliest that trains will be going across Lake Washington is 2025. Federal Way has been pushed to 2025 or 26. Everett, 2041. Ballard, 2039. West Seattle, 2032. By the way, the starter line from Bellevue to Microsoft's campus will begin next year. So, again, that's a little bit of positivity. And back to ferries for just a minute. We found out this year that the first boats that they are trying to get built won't likely arrive till 2028. The system, which is currently running with 15 out of 21 boats, is being held together with hope and good intentions. I expect rough seas ahead. Now, I wish there was better news, Dave, to end 2023, but our transportation system isn't in great shape. It's been underfunded in Olympia for decades, 
And we are now living in a world where that neglect is finally biting us in the backside. Well, you know, my theory all began when we got rid of the uh, high license tab fees and yeah. then didn't replace that money. That You know, there, there's a lot to that. And, of course, you know, we did vote for $30 tabs and those yep. still haven't, you know, that didn't come through. So, yeah, that's just, uh, it, it's just, we, we are reaping what we have sown now. Yeah. Go, coming to it, and yeah, especially on the ferry side, I'm very concerned over the next couple of years until we get boats back in uh, new boats into service. It's uh, not good times to be out there. Okay, well now, uh, is that 2025 date for trains across Lake Washington? Is that pretty firm? Now? Well, again, uh, they fixed the concrete issue that they, they had that has okay. uh, that made them have to take up the tracks across the floating lake. So they, that's done now. Well, no, they're still working on the plinths and the things. I believe at last check, they're getting. But that part, they think they have got the concrete issue taken care of there, okay. the manufacturing issue on that. Then, of course, comes, you know, the vital step in this is really once we actually start trying to run trains across a lake right. on a floating bridge, which has never been tried in human history, as near as uh, I can no tell. There's no reason to believe it shouldn't work. No, the engineers all believe it, all, uh, and right. so we'll see. But that's, you know, that's going to be, that's where the rubber's going to meet the road. Yeah, so I bring it up because... In the event that there isn't the money to complete 520 across Portage Bay, there will then be a viable light rail option across the lake, right? That is correct. Okay. At which point, at, by that time, uh, w- that will go all the way to downtown Redmond mm-hmm. at this point, too, because the, the, the starter line ends at the Microsoft right. campus, and then it'll be another, I think, a year and a half before they get all the way into Redmond. And that basically has the capacity of another superhighway yes. if you build it yes, out, it right? Yes, it does. Oh, yeah. Okay. And as I've always said, you know, I'm a, I'm a big critic of Sound Transit for a lot of different reasons, uh, but I've always said that... It's not going to work until it goes somewhere. Right. You know, just running up I-5 for a little bit no. doesn't really help anybody. But now it does. This but now, a, yeah. you know, we're getting to a bedroom communities in Linwood, right. South Snohomish County, getting over to the east side. Once it becomes an option for people around Seattle to get in, then I think it will start making a little bit of a difference. It's never going to replace, you know, people driving. and we It never was designed to do that. But providing an option where you don't have to drive, I think it once it gets there. And has those bedroom commuting. I remember when I first visited my college friends in New York, in and around New York. We mm-hmm. lived, you know, they lived in New Jersey. They lived in wherever. When, you know, we catch the train, just boom, you park there, boom, go right in. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's great. Well, we're not there yet here. But when we are, I think it'll make a difference. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Last week... Eight bridges were shut down in eight cities on the eighth night of Hanukkah by a group called Jewish Voice for Peace. And here in Seattle, the uh, Seattle chapter shut down the University Bridge. And Eliana Horn is, you know, you're a member of the Seattle chapter, right? Yes. Did did you organize the protest? I was part of a team of organizing, yes. So why did you shut down the bridge? Uh, we shut down the bridge because we there, there just cannot be business as usual uh, with everything that is happening in Gaza as 20 over 20,000 people have been killed by the Israeli military uh, over 7,000 children half of the buildings destroyed in Gaza um all all a part of a 75 year history of oppression of Palestinians um and our chapter in Seattle has written uh thousands of letters to Senator Murray has put in thousands of calls to her, have organized nearly a dozen protests, and our Senator Murray Murray has not 
called for a permanent ceasefire. Um, and the decision to to shut down traffic on University Bridge is not one we took lightly. But mm-hmm. given given that our representatives are not responding, uh, we uh, business cannot go on as usual. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people feel that way, uh, including a lot of Jews. I assume you're Jewish. I am Jewish. Right. Um, shutting down the bridge, though, and the inconvenience it causes, uh, the possible delay in like emergency services. Why express yourself that way? So again, it's not a decision we we took lightly at all, um, and um, definitely the the goal is not was is not to inconvenience anyone, and it's it's just a, an unfortunate um, uh, part of of the protest that we're definitely ap- apologetic to folks who have um, impacted were mm-hmm. impacted in that way, um, and. We have tried every other method that we can think of to get the attention of our representatives. We have three major cities across Washington who have passed ceasefire resolutions. And our representatives, Senator Murray, Senator Cantwell, Representative Adam Smith, who was on the program yesterday, I know, has not called for called for a ceasefire. And so in these conditions that we there we have to do everything we can to raise this issue to our to mm. to the public and to our representatives. And you'd be surprised how many people actually joined our protest, um, both from the streets and in in cars, um, the bridge tender who uh, initially <laughs> had asked us to uh, go off the the, the uh, traffic the the, the roadways yeah. um, actually wrote a blog post um, describing how moved she was by seeing um, you know hundreds of people standing for justice and standing for an end to violence uh, and oppression of Palestinians. Yeah. Well, to your credit, you did block a drawbridge, which is blocked. Regularly, anyway, by by boat traffic, and it was a you you uh, had a, a time limit on your demonstration. How long were you there? Uh, we were there for over two hours. Two hours, okay. Uh, so a really long bridge opening, but um, okay. I'll, I mean, I'll grant you that. And you got attention. I mean, you, you certainly got our attention. Although, I mean, we've all been covering the the disparity in casualties between Israel and Hamas. The the question that I never see um, or the issue I never see raised by the demonstrators is the way Hamas has treated its own people. So how do you feel about that? I mean, the, especially when I see um, uh, Palestinians, you know, calling for Israel to, to stop to, uh, to um, uh, call a ceasefire. What about the way Hamas has treated its own people all the years and the way they have spent money on building up their military instead of improving the lives of their people. Ultimately, the uh, Israeli military assault is not addressing any of these issues, and there is no military solution to to any of what you're describing. There's really only a diplomatic solution and only a solution that's going to address the 75 years of history of dispossession and oppression of Palestinians um, and is working toward a safe uh, and, and dignified future for Palestinians and Israelis. Haven't the Palestinians, though, or I'll, I, won't, I don't want to lump all Palestinians in with Hamas, hasn't Hamas adopted basically a, a doomed approach? Because any country that is attacked from the outside has a right to self-defense. You acknowledge that. And Hamas clearly attacked Israelis in a way that I think it's fair to say they hoped would provoke an over-response so that people uh, would indeed come down and, and criticize Israel. But what are they supposed to do instead? Say, okay, now, now, now we get that you're angry with the Hamas. We will forget the number of people that you, you know, you killed and 
tortured, whatever. I don't want to go to the graphic descriptions of this. And and now we'll negotiate. No country would do that. Jewish Voice for Peace agrees with, um, you know, human rights groups that what happened October 7th was a war crime. And Israel has committed war crimes well before and after what happened on October 7th. Um, ultimately, what is going to happen is up to Israeli and Palestinians to to work to, to decide together. And there is going to have to be serious healing of um, the many, many years of oppression that Palestinians have experienced. I'm I'm the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, um, grandparents who survived Siberia, Auschwitz, Transnistria, um, and ultimately, what what is needed is is healing and reconciliation and a, a path forward for actual safety and dignity for everyone. Now, I won't say that um, I, I endorse the tactic of blocking the University Bridge for two hours because uh, generally I'm against anything that slows down Seattle traffic since it's already so terrible. But uh, it's it's clear that you've, um, you've thought this through. You don't do it uh, lightly. Am I allowed to ask if you're going to do it again? We are definitely going to keep protesting until yeah. um, our representatives actually listen to their voters and to their constituents. Again, three cities have passed re- resolutions demanding a ce- calling for a ceasefire and asking our representatives to do so. Hundreds of thousands of phone calls, letters have gone into our representatives. And so where are you, Senator Patty Murray? Where And where are you, Senator Maria Cantwell and uh, Representative Adam Smith and all our, our other representatives? Okay. All right, so there may be another uh, bridge block is what I get from that. Um, are you going to confine it to draw bridges, which, you know, go up and down occasionally all on their own or, you know, you're going for bigger targets? We don't have any any I don't have any clear plan for protests at this time to, to mm-hmm. let you know about. But I, I can tell you that, again, we will continue to be protesting until we see a permanent ceasefire in Gaza and root, root issues continue uh, begin to be addressed. Uh, and you can follow our Instagram page for for more information at J, uh, Instagram. It's JVP Seattle. Eliana Horn of Jewish Voice for Peace, Seattle Chapter. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. At Houston, Texas Children's Hospital, young patients and their families got to select personalized Christmas trees for their rooms. Thanks to volunteers who are making spirits bright for those who can't be home for the holidays. Here's CBS's Janet Shamley. This is where William Wilson will spend Christmas, a hospital room where the eight-year-old is fighting a blood disorder. It'll stop hurting in just a minute, okay? Surrounded by machines and tubes, it's not what a child dreams of. But at Houston's Texas Children's Hospital, there's magic beyond the medicine. And the 16th floor looks like a high-end holiday store. So pretty, so beautiful and colorful. There's a Barbie-themed tree, the choo-choo, sports teams, and sweet treats. Each child can choose one for their room. I like all of them. Decorated by people who won't meet them. This is Halloween. It's really hard. But who will make a difference in their holiday? What will it be like to have a tree like this in your room? I want to show off to everybody. I like this one. That one? Is that one the one? Wilson went with the Hot Wheels theme. Wow. Thank you. Much more than a Christmas tree. It's the stability of tradition at an uncertain time. I love it. (laughs) Janet Shamley in CBS News, Houston.
Well, the fog is now shrouding the Space Needle, but through the pea soup, I can see Jake Scorheim, who's the host of Cairo Nights and also filling in on the Gene Ursula show. And um, you were discussing uh, that you were not going to let your kids have a cell phone? Yes, yeah, which uh, people found kind of controversial what? for some reason. <clears throat> well, I um, we, we it's not exactly true. We are going to give our kids cell phones at a certain age, uh, but not smartphones. Smartphones I'm very much... Uh, scared of for my kids. Mm-hmm. So you can get phones, like I think there's a make uh, phone that's called the Jitterbug, and it essentially is a phone that allows you to do what phones were designed to do. Talk. You can talk. <laughs> you can even text. I those days. Yeah, you can even text on it, which is really advanced. Uh, but it would allow my kids to get in touch with me, but it would not allow them to, say, put stuff out on social media that in 20 years they might wish they had never said or like something that uh, maybe is not something they should be, you know, liking. And so it just keeps them a what little... What kind of pushback did you get for that? People thought I was crazy. Why? I don't know. Well, I mean, I understand that one of the reasons parents want their kids to have cell phones is because they're worried about active shooters and they want their kids to be able to get in touch with them. But you can do that with a dumb phone. What they, what they The big pushback that I got was people were saying, well, you're going to cut your kid off from all social relations in oh, their life, all social aspects of school. And your kid's going to come to you every day and they're going to say, please, please, please give me this phone, give me this phone. And it's just a battle you're not going to be able to win. And it says that you're also going to, uh, it's not going to be fair for them because all their friends will have them. Yeah, right. And, you know, to me, I was just They'll like, miss well... They'll all, invi- all the invites, all the parties. They won't go to any parties. They'll have no social life. And, uh, you know, when kids are uh, more these days talking on social media than... What did you I, What did you do, Chris? Uh, we're, I'm a few years down the road on this, Jake. So I, I've been where you're going. Yeah. By the way, it's lots of fun. The teenage years are awesome. <laughs> Yay! Uh, is but now that I can drink with Tommy, it's actually kind of fun. Uh, but anyway, moving on. Yeah, we waited till Tom, again as he was coming out. Uh, the uh, you know the cell phones were just kind of getting super smart, you know, and we were a- adding things along the way. So what we did is when he was about 14, we got him a you know a mild smartphone uh, because again that was what everybody had. Uh, and then, you know, we just monitored his social as best we could. We told him this was a responsibility. So are you looking and, at his phone every day? No, like no. I mean, I was, I was asked. I mean, I followed him on Twitter so I could see what he, I still do, whatever, you know, he reposts or whatever. I get in a little alert. But I mean, I didn't track it. Yeah. But I just, because I was like, listen, you're 14. This is a responsibility to have it. We wanted it just because at that point he started going out with his friends more often away from us. So as a way to get in touch with them. Uh, but yeah, now, and it wasn't quite what it is now with that you can become a social outcast if you're not in with Snapchat primarily, you know, because that's the way they don't. Most kids don't even text anymore. They just snap. Yeah. So it's just like, boom, 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 boom. And those conversations disappear in 15 minutes. You, so it's a little different now. There's a lot more on the playing field than Tom had to deal with. But he's not, even as an almost 22 year old, there's a lot out there that he he's just like, no, nah, I don't even want. I, I, he goes, I'm, I'm not even don't want to do the social stuff. The other thing that worries me and my, you know, my oldest is only eight. So this is a problem we're not going to have to face for a few years. Yeah. I worry that. Everywhere I go, I see kids walking down the street now, like looking at their phones and they're outside and they're staring at their phones or they're sitting on the bus and they're staring at their phones and all these social interactions that they're not learning how to have. Right. Scares me. I know. And it's led to a lot of loneliness. I know. And I I don't I don't know how to uh, how I would have dealt with it, because uh, fortunately we missed that. But the the biggest, you know, controversy when I was a kid was whether I was could be trusted with a soldering gun or not. (laughs) And uh, and and cell phones were not even a a thing when uh, when my kids were were growing up. And uh, 
I do remember, though, we had we had the paper alternative in school. It was called a slam book. It was a book you passed around and you wrote comments about various people in class. And the teachers, you know, tried to stop it. But, you know, it was just as futile as trying to stop the cell phones. So, I mean, kids were still being cruel to each other. But uh, the online thing has just blown it all out of proportion. And, Jake, what you need to be careful of, and you, you hit it on right there, is the fact that nobody has to worry about getting punched in the nose anymore when it comes to social, right? Back in the day, if you had a beef with somebody or you were calling something out, you settled it on the playground with a little punch, 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 and then you're like, oh, I know how to have that conversation. If I act like a jerk, I'm going to get treated like a jerk. Now there are no consequences in the social world. You could say whatever you want with no consequences. And I'm worried that's led to people not being able to handle the first time they have a someone rejects them, you end up with somebody who picks up a gun today instead of maybe talks. They don't know how to have those conversations, uh, which is I, I've seen that with Tommy and some of his friends, too. They don't know how to deal with conflict face to face. It doesn't compute because they're staring at a phone all the right, time because they're, yeah. they're, they're living in this world and not this world. So are we going to be able to tune into Cairo nights like over the next 10 years and see how this evolves in your family? <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Tune into Cairo nights. I'll let you know. Jake Scorheim. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. And that is Mickey time. Here's Mickey Gomez. It turns out the days of free and easy mail order returns may be ending. And you spoke with uh, Herb Weisbaum about this. I did, yeah. A few big-name retailers are charging fees for mail order returns. So, you know, you get something free in the mail. Well, not free in the mail, but free postage, right? So you order something, and you don't have to pay for postage. It comes to you, and you're like, ah, I'm just going to return this. Why did I buy that? Well, companies are now catching on, and and they're saying, well, you know what? If if you want a a return slip, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, well, what do we expect? Well, a lot of people are not expecting that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not free. Returns are not, I mean, it feels well, for the like most it should part, be free. Yeah. Well, check there's an expense in restocking the shelves, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, checkbook.org's Herb Weisbaum says it's because of an increase in return fraud. And one way to do that is to shorten the return windows up a little bit, make the return policy specific for the different items, and uh, to just crack down a little bit more on on what's coming back and how it comes back. So return fraud is when somebody, you know, buys a dress or buys an outfit and then wears it, doesn't take the tag off, and then returns it. And so companies are just like, you know what? We're we're catching on. We're not we're not keen on this. Retailers like Amazon, Macy's and Marshalls added a return by mail fee and a shorter window to send back purchases. What? Is that I mean, I don't know. I'm just guys. I'm trying to figure out why not just go take it back to the. Can you take it back to the store for you can free? Take it back like to the your store. Local, even if you bought it online, you take it to your local retailer, right? You can still do that for free, right? Sure, you can still take it back. Some, yeah. but some stores are actually saying, "Hey, listen, when you purchase this item, even when you purchase it in store, you're gonna if you bring it back, there may be a restocking fee. So before you buy, make sure you know the return policy. Yeah. Now. The reason they started to liberalize these return policies was as a competitive advantage, right? right? It was. It was. It was really competitive. However, more important people know that you can buy. Uh, so, let's say I'm planning to go and, and and buy a sweater. I don't know what size I want. You know, is it small, medium, large? And I buy all three because the price is right. I I I keep one and I return both. Well, stores are like, you know what? No, you can't do that anymore. You, yeah. you if you're going to return it by mail, now you're going to go ahead and pay a fee. And they've decided let's just shorten the return 
return window, especially for holiday purchases. So Amazon, Macy's, Staples, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls, according to WiseBomb, has changed their 2023 return policy. What about, okay, let's talk gift receipts. Because mm-hmm. obviously that's going to happen a lot probably next week. When Wise you get Bomb something says, for somebody else and you have a gift, or you, could you still have to pay a restock fee if it's a gift that you received? Depending on where you bought it. And number one, WiseBomb says, make sure you give the gift receipt or keep it on hand. Okay. Because a lot of times if you want to return something and you don't have a gift receipt or you don't have the original receipt, you might not get the full amount of what that purchase is worth. Number two, you could probably take it back into the store. And, and and not have to you know worry about a uh, a fee to to return it in the mail, but that but then you're going to have to stand in long lines sometimes in most cases, or you might not, you know you might have to pay that that restocking fee. I, I was actually shocked. I was in a retailer this weekend at the mall, and it said return policy. If you return an item, there will be a five dollar restocking fee. Or just stop buying clothes as gifts. Because what, I mean, when you think about it, isn't it kind of absurd? Okay, I think this would look good on you, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to give this to you, even though I don't really know your size or whether you'll like it. Well, well it's not just clothes, though. You could do a perfume. What if you buy a perfume for someone and well, you perfume. think it's there? Yeah. You're going to return it. Another, uh, another thing is that they're putting time limits on returns as well. A lot of people during, uh, Weisbaum says a lot of people like to buy those big TVs for uh, Super Bowl Sunday and then think that they can return the TV afterwards. Come on. Well, now some major retailers are saying, hey, listen, if you buy a big t- big screen uh, TV from us or an electronic or, you know, maybe even a- an Apple Watch or something like that, your return window is going to be a lot shorter than what yeah. it used to be because, cons- because you know, they're just, they're tired. Stores are fed up with this retailer fraud, with this mail order fraud. So buy that big screen TV on Saturday before the Super Bowl and return it Monday. Well, m- maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just you just got to sure, plan your fraud ahead of time. Make sure you've got the box. Make sure you've got the receipt. Make sure you've got the plastic. Because, again, some of these retailers are going to charge you a restocking nice. fee. Just go to a sports bar. We're crying out loud. Yeah, Thank there you go. You. Thank Look you, at Dave advocating going to a sports bar. I like it. I, I do, too. <laughs> Let's go. I didn't say drink anything. Oh, I said just go there and watch it. Okay. It is. Uh, yeah, but I know it was on your mind. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.